0: You so much i mentioned uh, this morning um if you're here don't worry if you won't but I, if you weren't but i hadn't brought in any of the magazines and prayer news updates from counties if you don't receive them you can uh, just um uh, go online or you can fill in the little slip at the back to receive our quarterly magazine ignite and the story i mentioned um This morning, about Hannah, the girl from Nottingham who was converted at John Wilkes Camp under the ministry of Bob Telford and then did a summer team in our house in Hereford and is now a missionary in Italy with Echoes. That story is told in the magazine. So it's a a great story. And uh, if you'd like to know a little bit more, do grab uh, one of the Ignite magazines. We also value prayer um, for the work of counties and uh, we do a uh, again, comes out with the magazine, A Quarterly Prayer Guide. This one's September to November, so that is the uh, the current one. And uh, on each day, uh, through each of the three months, there is just a little um, prayer notification for that particular day. And uh, today, I mentioned um, this morning, Craig Darling. Craig and Georgie Darling are um, moving from Bath to Ross-on-Wye to be involved in the replanting of the church there at ross and uh, today's prayer um, bullet point was for Craig and the team pioneering a cafe church service at Henry Street, Ross on Wise. So little things to pray about. So again, those magazines are there, but if you'd like to receive them directly, please take one and uh, drop an email. We're going to read from Numbers chapter 22. I'm reading from the New Living Translation, so I apologize if that's not what... Uh, Kevin had uh, ready to go up on the screen but I'm going to read from the New Living from Numbers 22 verse 15 down to verse 41. Numbers 22 verse 15 down to verse 41 and um, this is um, I, I, when I when I looked at this passage just talking to Ash who spoke last week and we're uh, just uh, thinking about you know uh, the story of Balaam's ass and from now on I'm going to call it a donkey. Uh, because when I was uh, brought up under the King James Version, I couldn't help but have a little chuckle every time we were told this story of um, Balaam's donkey. And, uh, but I heard it as a Sunday school story, and I have never preached from it. I've never um, looked at it, really. I just know it as a Sunday school story. So we're going to look at the story of this uh, talking donkey I mentioned this morning. This is the original Shrek. So that's what we're going to think about uh, here. So we're going to read the whole passage, Numbers 22, verse uh, 15 to 41. Then Balak, who was the king in the region, uh, Balak tried again. This time he sent a larger number of even more distinguished officials than those he had sent the first time. They went to Balaam and delivered this message to him, so just to give you the backdrop, if you weren 't here last week, you don 't know the, the back story, uh, the children of Israel are on the borders of entering the promised land they 're between Egypt and the promised land they 're coming to the end of their 40 years wilderness experience. They are a mass army a people group over a a million and a half people who are ready to enter the promised land they're camping on the edge of Midian the Midianite territory and Balak the king is terrified and he wants Balaam to prophesy against them to curse them Balaam is a prophet of God and so um, they they he refused the first time so now verse 16 they went and delivered this message to him this is what Balak son of Zippor says please don't let anything stop you from coming to help me I will pay you very well and do whatever you tell me just come and curse these people for me but Balaam responded to Balak's messengers Even if Balak were to give me his palace filled with silver and gold, I would be powerless to do anything against the will of the Lord my God. But stay here one more night, and I will see if the Lord has anything else to say to me. That night, God came to Balaam and told him, since these men have come for you, get up and go with them, but do only what I tell you to do. So the next morning, Balaam got up, saddled his donkey, and started off with the Moabite officials. But God was angry that Balaam was going, so he sent the angel of the Lord to stand in the road to block his way. As Balaam and the two servants were riding along, Balaam's donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand. The donkey bolted off the road into a field, but Balaam beat it and turned it back onto the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood at a place where the road narrowed between two vineyard walls. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it tried to squeeze by and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall. So Balaam beat the donkey again. Then the angel of the Lord moved further down the road and stood in a narrow place, place too narrow for the donkey to get by at all. This time, when the donkey saw the angel, it lay down under Balaam. In a fit of rage, Balaam beat the animal again with his staff. Then the Lord gave the donkey the ability to speak. What have I done to you that deserves your beating me three times? It asked Balaam. You have made me look like a fool, Balaam shouted, which obviously was even more true now that he's talking to a donkey. You have made me look like a fool, Balaam shouted. If I had a sword with me, I'd kill you. But I'm the same donkey you've ridden all your life, the donkey answered. Have I ever done anything like this before? No, Balaam admitted. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the roadway with a drawn sword in his hand. Balaam bowed his head and fell face down on the ground before him. Why did you beat your donkey those three times? The angel of the Lord demanded. Look, I have come to block your way because you are stubbornly resisting me. Three times the donkey saw me and shied away. Otherwise, I would have certainly killed you by now and spared the donkey. Then Balaam confessed to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned. I didn't realize you were standing in the road to block my way. I will return home if you are against my going. But the angel of the Lord told Balaam, Go with these men, but say only what I tell you to say. So Balaam went uh, on with Balak's officials. And when King Balak heard that Balaam was on the way, he went out to meet him at a Moabite town on the Arnon River at the farthest border of his land. Didn't I send you an urgent invitation? Why didn't you come right away? Balak asked Balaam. Didn't you believe me when I said I would reward you richly? <coughs> Balaam replied, Look, now I have come, but I have no power to say whatever I want. I will speak only the message that God puts in my mouth. Then Balaam accompanied Balak to Kiriath-Huzoth, where the king sacrificed cattle and sheep. He sent portions of the meat to Balaam and the officials who were with him. The next morning, Balak took Balaam up to uh, ramoth Beal. From there he could see some of the people of Israel spread out below him. We'll stop the reading there. Let's just pray again and ask God to help us to understand. Father, we confess that in some ways this is a a well-known story to some of us, and yet perhaps its meaning might be a little obscure. Why is it recorded for us at all? What is the point? What can we learn? Lord, we ask that by your written word, that you would speak the living word into our hearts and lives this evening. We pray that we would hear your voice. We pray that we would respond. We ask that your Holy Spirit would open our hearts and minds to respond to your word so that we might know what you're saying, not just all of those years ago to Balaam and to Balak, but what you're saying to us here at Great Parks Chapel tonight. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I uh, as I mentioned uh, already, Israel are close to entering the, the promised land, and Balak, the king of Midian, is afraid of them. There are hordes of people encamped on the border of his land, about to march through, and he's terrified that they're going to destroy him and his people. So he sends for Balaam. Now, this guy Balaam, uh, if uh, if you'll remember, maybe you were here, heard a bit about him last week. But interestingly, he's clearly a man who knew the Lord. It says that he was a prophet of the Lord. And in fact, in in, uh, the modern translations, the New International Version, which uh, you you might have been following, or the New Living Translation, Lord is in capitals, L-O-R-D, which means he was a prophet of Yahweh, the God of Israel. He knew the creator God. Now, we've got to just weigh that for a moment because he's living in a land He's not part of the Israelite people. He's not a Jew. He's not come out with them from Egypt. But here he is. And he knows the Lord. um, He's not, of course, the only priest or prophet who appears from out of Midian. There's another, of course, uh, who appears. And um, Balaam is speaking for God. But... We're picking the story here up after his first refusal. He's already turned down an offer of, of money. And uh, Balak offers food, and uh, sorry, Balaam offers food and board to Balaam's attendants. These servants of King Balak come, and they say to Balaam, "Come on, we've got more money. We've got more food." We'll supply your groceries for a year. We'll pay a holiday, skiing in Switzerland. We'll, we'll give you whatever you need, Balaam. You can have whatever you like if you will just do what the king asks. Curse the Israelites. Curse them. And uh, I, I'm interested because Balaam offers them food and board. And to all intents and purposes, it, it simply looks like kindness and hospitality but it's interesting what he actually says to them uh, he says if you uh, look at the verses again let's uh, just go back to the um, the beginning of the reading when they come to him he says verse 19 but stay here one more night and i will see if the lord has anything else to say to me what's he saying stay a night and i now god's already said I'm blessing Israel. I'm not cursing it. They're my people. You can't curse them. In fact, ultimately he ends up blessing them three times. He's unable to bring a curse down upon the children of Israel, but he invites them in and he says, look, come on in. Maybe God will say something else. I wonder what it was that was tempting him. It was, um, uh, uh, Some years ago that uh, a very famous interview has been shown on television a number of times, Paul Daniels' wife was asked, uh, so what was it that first attracted you to the millionaire Paul Daniels? It's a great question, isn't it? Um, And uh, what is it, Balaam, that makes you think God might have something else that you could say? Well, you know, they've come with their pockets lined and... Those boxes look like they might have a bit of money inside. And, you know, it would be good if God could say something else. Because I'd be set for life. And Balaam was playing with fire. The first visit had been rebuffed after God made it clear he was blessing the Israelites. You get that in verses 12 and 13. God told Balaam, do not go with them. You're not to curse these people for they have been blessed. The next morning he got up and told Balak's officials, go on home, the Lord will not let me go with you. But I think in Balaam's heart, there's a there's a hankering after money. Well, that's normal, isn't it? There's nothing wrong with money. The Bible is clear that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. We often misquoted, or we hear it misquoted, that money is the root of all evil. That's not at all what the Bible says. Money's necessary. It's useful. It's helpful. But the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And so Balaam has a problem, and I think his problem is that he loves money. You say, well, where do you get that from? Well, turn, if you would, to 2 Peter chapter 2. The New Testament talks about Balaam in two or three different places. 2 Peter chapter 2, in verse 12 down to verse 16. I should have given you these before, Kevin, so... Well done on um, looking them up for us. 2 Peter 2, verse 12 to verse 16. And uh, Peter is writing to Christians who are facing persecution. Things are difficult for them. And there are teachers who are coming in and out among them who are false teachers. And look at what Peter says about these false teachers in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 12. He says, these false teachers are like unthinking animals, Creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed. They scoff at things they do not understand, and like animals, they will be destroyed. Their destruction is their reward for the harm they have done. They love to indulge in evil pleasures in broad daylight. They're a disgrace and a stain among you. They delight in deception, even as they eat with you in your fellowship meals. They commit adultery with their eyes. Their desire for sin is never satisfied. They lure unstable people into sin, and they're well-trained in greed. They live under God's curse. They've wandered off the right road and followed the footsteps of Balaam, son of Beor, who loved to earn money by doing wrong. But Balaam was stopped from his mad course when his donkey rebuked him with a human voice. Do You think it's interesting that Peter's comparing these, these teachers who love money with unthinking animals? And then he says, they're like Balaam who was stopped in his tracks by an unthinking animal who spoke with a human voice. God had to get hold of Balaam's attention because he had a problem. He loved, says Peter, to earn money by doing wrong. Why? Because he was prepared to say what people wanted to hear if they paid him the right price. And his problem was that on the night that Balak sent his servants to speak a curse against the children of Israel, God showed up and told him to bless them, not to curse them. You can't curse them. Okay, well, hang around a day or two. Maybe God has something else he'd like to say. Do you ever hear God speak to you and you think, ooh, not so keen on what you've said, Lord. I'll hang around a little longer, and maybe you'll say something nicer. Hmm? Teachers, Paul writes to Timothy, will turn out who tell people what their ears want to hear. Tickle the ears of the hearers. Give them a nice word. There are preachers in, in the world today, preachers, prosperity teachers who teach a gospel. It's not the the gospel of the Bible and they basically just give you wonderful words of if you do the right thing and if you, if you live the right way and if you give the right amount of money and if you say the right prayers and if you have enough faith, do you know everything's going to work out just great. And people go, I love this stuff. Of course you do. It's what your ears want to be tickled with. We all like to be told things are great. I, I love those verses in Jeremiah 29. My daughter has um, got them, uh, my eldest daughter has got them on her room. I have plans for you, plans for, to prosper you, not to harm you. A promise, of course, to Israel in the midst of terrible times. And a promise that we can take and know to be true if we put our trust in Jesus. But not a promise for all people for all time. We can't take the word of God and just make it what people would like it to hear. So you can't always come alongside someone and just tell them, you know, it's all okay. God wants to bless you. God wants to do this to you. Look, sometimes God needs to break us. And in the brokenness, we need to hear his voice. We need to repent and turn from our sin. And we find that difficult. Oh, don't talk about repentance. Don't preach about hell. The second coming is a little bit frightening. It would be better if we could avoid some of the more difficult subjects and just stick with the good stuff. We want words that will be easier to deliver and to hear. What was Balaam's problem? Well, I want to suggest that it was simply this. He loved the world of visible things. There is no doubt that he wanted to have a more suitable message, not a curse, or a curse, not a blessing, because he wanted the money. I said I wouldn't mention the B word this morning, but I made no such promise about tonight. It was interesting in the Brexit debate that uh, the DUP, and I'm from Northern Ireland, but of course a lot of... Um, mud uh, slinging has been sent in the direction of the dup whatever you think about them or ireland or northern ireland or the political position that you take but someone made an interesting comment now people have said the dup were bought to give their support to the conservative government now actually they didn't get the money the money went to the northern ireland economy and why would you not use what leverage you have for the betterment of the economy in which you live so you can argue either way but someone said in the, the debate yesterday sadly if you can be bought you can also be sold it's interesting i just picked that phrase up and i thought there's truth in that isn't there if you can be bought you can also be sold you can be sold out, you can be sold down the river, you can, you're can. you dispensable, you're only worth what the money is, and Balaam was a man who could be bought, but only as long as he was useful to deliver the message that Balak wanted to hear. Paul writing to Timothy in that last letter, as far as we're aware, the last letter that Paul wrote as he was facing his own execution Two timothy 3 verse 2 he says in the last days people will be lovers of money lovers of money and let's be honest we live those of us who live in the united kingdom however little or much you have you and i have sitting in this room we are in the um three percent of the richest people in the whole world sat here we love stuff Our eyes are lured by what we see. Our heart is lured by what we see through our eyes. And Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Balaam loved the world of visible things, what he could touch, what he could feel, what he could have, what he could keep, what he could spend, what he could buy with what he had. And Peter calls those kind of teachers on thinking animals. It was, of course, the animal in Balaam's story who exhibited what we are invited to do. Balaam loved the visible. The donkey saw the invisible. The donkey saw the invisible. He saw and valued the invisible, the angel of the Lord who stood in his way. And actually, because of the donkey's fear of the angel of the Lord, and because of its obstinate nature in light of that impending doom, he saved Balaam's life. The angel, the unseen, the invisible, but the real. The New Living Translation uses the word talking about uh, visible and invisible things. It uses the word invisible three times in the New Testament in that translation. The first one is, you don't need to turn to these, but Romans 1 verse 20, where it condemns those who make idols out of the visible, even though they can see through visible things that there is a God. As I looked over the, the bay this afternoon, and as um. I went out with Kevin, we were down in Dartmouth briefly, just to to look across and see the beauty of God's creation, that beautiful blue sky and those clouds floating across. And you can see, if you want to, that there is a God who made it all. But Romans 1 says, For ever since the, the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky, the visible. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities. His eternal power and divine nature, so they have no excuse for not knowing God. You see, people are so taken up with the visible, we become idolaters of the visible when all the time God is speaking about his invisible eternal qualities. Colossians 1.15, where Christ makes visible the invisible God. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created, and is supreme over all creation. And then perhaps most poignantly of all, given that we're thinking of Balaam. So here is Balak, the king of the Midianites, and Balaam, the prophet of God in a foreign land from another culture. And over here is Moses and the children of Israel, and the last comment about the invisible in the New Testament is in Hebrews 11:27. What does it say and who's it talking about? It was by faith that Moses left the land of Egypt, not fearing the king's anger, he kept right on going because his eyes were on the one who is invisible. And here we have the contrast, Balaam who loved the visible, the tangible, what he could touch, hold, value, spend use. And Moses, who had everything, he was richer than Balaam could ever desire to be. He was a son of Pharaoh in his upbringing, in his education, in the palace. And he gave it up. Why? Because he valued God above everything else. He fixed his eyes on the one who is invisible and the beginning of that chapter says that faith is the reality of what we hope for, the evidence of things we cannot see. Through their faith, the people in days of old earned a good reputation. Fix your eyes on Jesus. And so here we are as we're coming shortly to break bread together and to take wine together and have communion and we'll take something that's tangible and visible, but it speaks to us of something that's greater than what we take in our hands and what we drink. It tells us of Jesus who died on a cross. It tells us of Jesus who's risen from the dead, who's exalted in glory. And one day he's coming again. And as often as you do this, you remember the Lord's death, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes we can't see his coming it hasn't happened yet but it will happen and the invisible will be made visible and our faith will give way to sight and if you place your heart your treasure in the invisible unseen invisible God you will be rewarded one day beyond what you can even begin to imagine so Balaam's problem was he loved the visible What about you and me? And finally and secondly, Balaam's donkey. You know, only two animals speak in the Bible. Uh, One is supernaturally enabled by Satan and the other supernaturally enabled by God. The serpent speaks in the Garden of Eden and Balaam's donkey speaks here. Balaam is going to end his life, destroyed by his greed, his desperation for gold. It reminded me of another scene where there are talking animals. It take you to Narnia, right? Eh? Talking, oh, the horse and his boy, or is it the, yes, it's the horse and his, one of my favorite stories, the horse and his boy. Anyone read the horse and his boy? Yeah, great. So these these talking horses who realize that they probably come from, belong to, have a home somewhere else. They're living in this foreign land where the animals are all dumb and stupid and don't speak, but they talk. We must belong somewhere else. And you and I belong somewhere else if we put our trust in Jesus. But that land of talking animals, Narnia, reminded me of Eustace, or useless as I think his cousins call him, Eustace in Narnia, who so desired the golden treasure in the dragon's cave that the greed overtook him. And in the the world of folklore, of course, he becomes the very thing that's guarding the gold, the dragon who's consumed by his love of money. It's a great image, isn't it? You see, the love of money will be the destruction of your soul. So God uses a donkey. He'll use unusual circumstances to get hold of your attention. I don't know if an animal has ever spoken to you. I'm sure um, uh, some of you will remember the talking animal on uh, That's Life. Sausages. Remember? Okay, some of you. Certain age, not say what age that is, but uh, the dog that, you know, sausages. I'm not sure it said anything else. I, um, I love the uh, little video clip of the animal on uh, YouTube where the guy saying, Oh, I went to the fridge and the dog goes, Have mmm. you seen that one? And he says, And I got some sausages and the dog goes, Mmm. And he said, And I took them out of the fridge, And I gave them to the cat. You should watch it. It's one of the most watched. It's not quite a talking animal, but God uses unusual circumstances to grab our attention. Finish with this story. Peter Brandon, well-known preacher, known I'm sure to some. uh, some here. He's with the Lord now. He came to preach in Belfast many years ago. Before I was born, he came to do a mission with Victoria Hall in Belfast. And, uh, um, one of the uh, men men of the church uh, had uh, become recently become a Christian, and he was still a boxing promoter. That was his job, and there was a big fight on at the Ulster Hall, two and a half thousand seater auditorium. Uh, it was a big night of boxing, a Saturday night, and the boxing promoter said to Peter Brandon, "Would you like to preach?" On the boxing night at the at the um, uh, at the Elster Hall, and Peter Brandon said, "Well, how will that work?" He said, "Well, between bouts, I can get you uh, five minutes." Really? He said, "Yeah, in the ring, I'll get you five minutes." So Peter Brandon uh, told me this story himself, and so uh, uh, Peter Brandon gets in the ring. And uh, he stands up, and he's got his trilby hat, and he takes it off. He's got his long trench coat, and he looks completely out of place, and he starts to preach. Meanwhile, in Belfast, there's a man who's having a row with his wife. She has just become a Christian, and she he's got problems with alcohol and with his temper, and uh, they're having a row, and she's trying to win him over, but often, like, Uh, like us, you know, we we preach at people, and she was preaching at him, and he was feeling preached at, and she was shouting scriptures at him that that she'd learned, and he was saying, all you do is preach at me. I don't want any more of this. I'm out, and out he went into the streets, and as he went out the door, she shouted at him, it's appointed unto us once to die, but after death, the judgment, which sounds like many marriages, and um, out he went, and uh, as he wandered the streets of Belfast, he followed a crowd and discovered he could buy a ticket on the gate at the Elster Hall, where there was boxing on, and he was quite keen on boxing. And so he found his way in between bouts. He was a little bit late arriving to find that it was an unusual Englishman standing in the middle of the ring who was simply telling the story of a great boxer that was well-known from that era and said, you know, if... Uh, if uh, I want to tell you about a fighter, and if this fighter puts you down, you'll never get up again. If this fighter puts you down, you will be carried out of the ring, and you will have fought your last your last round. And all want to know who it is. And Peter Brandon says, it's death, you know, it's death. When death comes to us, that's it, folks. Because it's appointed unto us once to die, but after death, the judgment. The guy's just there, and he's, whoa, you know, in the boxing hall at the Ulster Hall. He gave his life to Jesus when Elman told his wife what had happened. And they found their way to where Peter Brandon was taking a mission, I think sometime later, and Peter found that story. You know, God wants to get hold of your attention. If God can use, let me say it, if He can use a dumbass to speak, then surely He can use you and me. He can use any circumstances, He can use any situation. You might feel useless. You might think, I've got friends who are heading for a lost eternity, who are heading for destruction like Balaam, who are lost and going in the wrong direction. And you feel you can't do anything. You can't stop them. You can't help them. But God can and will use you if you let him. Like the donkey, a little godly stubbornness, allied with a little boldness to open your mouth, may be just what you need. May God help us to be more like the donkey than its owner. May God bless you. Thank you.